studying through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians now in the fourth chapter. You know the first three chapters are all about doctrine, all about the glorious gospel of grace and the work of Christ for us. And then chapter four begins and Paul says, therefore, since Christ has done all this for you, therefore, walk in a worthy manner. And now we are in this very practical section of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25 through 32 this morning. And Paul says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So far the reading of God's Word. Last week I told you about a friend of mine one Sunday morning about 20 years ago, who came up to me and said, John, I love you, but that suit you're wearing has to go. Essentially, she said it was offensive <laughs> to the eyes. You know, and, and, and I told you that here in this passage, God tells us that there are things we wear, things about us that we wear that are offensive to God and man and that they need to be put off. You see, things that people don't like to see. And problems that people have um, with them. What? Well, Vincent, what what are you suggesting? You want to put off stuff? How about you take off that eagle's hat? What do you got? Well, I got you, a team that actually can make it to the uh, end round of the playoffs and doesn't lose, Holloway. So, so what, Vincent, what you're telling me is I need to take off this hat, which is offensive to God and New Yorkers, <laughs> and, and put on this hat, which is ex- more acceptable to God and to New Yorkers. Is that right, Vincent? Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now, now as you go back to your seat, Vincent, uh, you know, for me to do that requires a change of heart. Right? <laughs> And what we said last week is that you put off the old man, but then you have to have a new heart. You need to be renewed in your heart, and then you put on the new. Now, I'm, I can't really stand this too much longer, but, but, but the point is very well made, thanks to Vincent this morning. You put off the old. This one is old. It's stained. It's probably smelly from the sweat, Right? This one is new, and it's fresh, and it's appropriate for the world in which I live. So, today, our text builds on that. And what the text says, it's very practical. 
You need to do this where you live, day in and day out, putting off the old man, being renewed in your heart and putting on the new. So I asked you at the end of last week's sermon, what do you need to put off? What needs to be changed in your life? Where do you need to put on the new man? And I urged you to talk about it with other people. And so that raises the question, is this church, is our church family a safe community for you to discuss the struggles the sins that you have in the old man. What do you think? Is the North Shore Community Church family a safe place where people are approachable and you can be honest? What Paul says in our text, the very first verse, is each of you must put off falsehood. And then he says, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And if that means anything, It means that you and I should have the privilege and the right to be real with each other. Is the North Shore Community Church a safe place for you to be real about the eagle's hats that you have? I heard uh, the story of a man recently who who goes to different churches. He's been trying to find a church where he could be honest about his struggles. And he told a friend of mine who's also a pastor, I went to this church and it happened again. What always happens to me is I get in a small group and then I'm honest about a struggle, a sin that I have, and I get one of three answers. The first person says to me, Oh, you, if you really prayed to God, you wouldn't be struggling with that. He said the second person says to him, well, how do you think the Yankees are going to do this year? And the third person says, oh, you're being too hard on yourself, really. Now, God loves you just as you are. Don't worry. And what the man said is that none of those three people is any help to me in my struggle against sin. When he's with the person who gives response number one, that, you can't be vulnerable with the person who just wags their finger and says, now if you really prayed about it, you wouldn't struggle with it. And with person number three, he says, they'll never hold me accountable. They just say, don't, don't worry about it. God loves you no matter what. And that's no help. And response number two, how do you think the Yankees are going to do? That's just saying... I can't deal with this. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just study theology, you know. What we need is to be a family that understands the costly grace of Jesus Christ that has saved us and prepares us to help other sinners to walk alongside of us in this church family. Here's a beautiful quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his great book, Life Together. He says that to be the kind of safe family that God commands us to be, we need to be people who live under the cross. 
And here's what he says about that. He says, anybody who lives under the cross, that is, who embraces the gospel of grace, and who has discerned at the cross the utter wickedness of all men, will find that there is no sin that can ever be alien to him. That is to say, you'll never be shocked. And therefore, he says, only the brother under the cross can hear my confession. The most experienced psychiatrist or observer of human nature knows infinitely less of the human heart than the simplest Christian under the cross. Bonhoeffer says, For in the presence of the psychiatrist, I can only be a sick man. In the presence of a Christian, I can dare to be a sinner. You see what he's saying? Our text this morning uh, understands this. We need to be there, North Shore Church. Don't say with person number three, it doesn't matter. And don't say with person number one, you shouldn't struggle. And don't say with person number two, I don't really care. Instead, we want to be people who understand the costly grace of Jesus Christ that has touched us and makes us approachable and willing to help others. Our text says, speak truthfully to your neighbor. On what grounds? On what grounds? He says, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So if you have been forgiven through the blood of Christ, then you don't look down your nose on any person and you're willing to help any person that crosses your path. Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another daily, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's a pretty remarkable verse, isn't it? Apparently, People in the church should know you and should speak to you. (laughs) Did you know that? People in the church should know you and have permission to speak to you and speak sanity into your life when you are struggling. Put off falsehood. Speak truth to your neighbor. Speaking the truth in love, he says. And you've given them permission to do that, even if you know sometimes you don't want to hear them. And sometimes you won't want to hear us. But today, God says you need to give permission for your brothers and sisters to speak into your life and to hold you, to keep you straight, even when you want to to steer the boat into the rocks. Where does that come from? Do you remember the story of Odysseus in the Odyssey? When he's finally coming home and he's on, he's, he's leading, he's the captain of his ship with the men who are rowing at the oars, but they are going to go by the place where the sirens are. Do you remember who the sirens were? The sirens were these beautiful creatures who had these gorgeous voices that called to the sailors, come to me. And the sailors would be crazed by her seduction, and they would turn their boat and crash them on the rocks and drown. And Ulysses knew that. But Ulysses, what did he say? He says, I am interested. I don't want my boat to crash, but I am interested to hear her voice. So here's what we'll do. And he took wax, and he put it in the ears of all of the oarsmen. And he said, it is up to you to keep me and to keep us straight, on a straight path to sail by the siren but I am going to tie myself to the mast so that I can hear her voice. And when I hear her voice, I'm going to say terrible things. 
I want you to know that when I hear her voice and she calls me, I'm going to say, let's go to the left. Steer to the leeward side. Let's go. And, and you'll refuse. And then I say, I am the captain of this ship. And I am going to cut off your heads if you do not take me to the leeward side. But you, don't listen to me. Keep going. And sure enough, he ties himself to the mast, right? And they are rowing. They are pulling with all their might. And the song of the siren bids him come. And he begins to say, take me, take me to her. But the men continue to row straight. And he says, I am the captain of this ship and you must do as I command. Forget what I said in the past. And they kept rowing. They were faithful to him. They would not let him go. And he says, I will take my sword. I will cut off your heads and the heads of your children. And they kept rowing and rowing until at last they were safe. And that is how we are to be as a church family with each other. We are to speak the truth in love. We are to keep each other safe. Not saying you shouldn't struggle because you struggle and I struggle. Not saying it doesn't matter, your sin, because it does matter, because Christ had to die for our sin. But we will live and help each other in this church to put off the old man, to be renewed in the new man, and to put on the new man. Paul gets very practical and concrete here. He doesn't say you just look at your sins and say, I'm sorry for my sins, and kind of slobber before God. Has anyone ever prayed like that, a kind of slobbering, gee, God, I'm sorry, I did it again? That's not enough. That is not the Christian life. There has to be this principle of renewal of the heart and replacement of the old man. That's what he teaches us in our text. He has two very uh, helpful um, examples in the text. He talks about stealing and lying. Lying and stealing. Let me ask you a question. When is a liar not a liar? And when is a thief not a thief? What's the answer to those two questions? Is it when uh, he stops lying or when he stops stealing? No. No. All you have then is a liar who at the moment is no longer lying. All you have then is at the moment the thief who may still have enough money from his last heist, you see. Or someone who says it's not strategically the time for me to pull my next caper. When is a liar not a liar? When is a thief not a thief? And the answer, of course, is when he is something else. Verse 17 said to us, walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. He expects you to change. Very good. So our liar stopped lying. But what must he start doing? The Bible tells us in this text. What does Paul say in verse 25? Therefore, lay aside falsehood, that's the putting off, and speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. That's the putting on, you see. When is a liar not a liar? When he's become a truth teller. And it has become the habit of his heart now to tell the truth. If you're a liar, 
if your habit is to exaggerate, tell half-truths, to cover things over, if you compulsively just can't ever really come clean so often, what has to happen? You have to acknowledge that this is a pattern in you. It's the old man. And then you need a renewal in your heart, a reprogramming of your heart, so that you then become a truth-teller. Otherwise, when you're tired... Otherwise, when you feel defensive, you're going to lie again. All your New Year's resolutions in the world are not going to give you the strength to become a truth teller. No, you need a renewed heart. Where does that renewed heart come from? It comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from knowing the one who called himself the way, the truth, and the life. It comes from having a personal relationship with the living and true God. And as you experience Him, your heart becomes new and you want, you actually want to be a truth teller in your, as you walk through life. When is a thief not a thief? Not when he stops stealing, verse 28 tells us. If you're a shoplifter, if you're a thief, if you cheat other people, verse 28 he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. So the picture here is the former thief actually goes out and gets a job. He learns how to work. What do you know? What a novel idea. And there are so many thieves in the world that they actually don't want to be thieves but they sure don't want to work. And God says, you haven't stopped being a thief until there has been a transformation of your heart and you understand the nobility of work, the health, the goodness of laboring with your hands, earning money, and then guess what? Doing what with that money? Actually giving it away to others. Wow. What a transformation. See, the put off is not enough. It's put off a renewed heart, and then put on the new man. Look at what he says about sinful anger in verses 26 and 27. You put off holding anger in, that resentment. We talked about that in the class earlier uh, this morning, in the marriage class, that you don't want to give the devil a foothold by keeping anger in. But what do you do if you're the kind of person who loves to be on slow boil? Is that anyone here? You love to be on slow boil. You're just simmering, simmering, simmering. And you never resolve the problems. He says, you have to put that off. You have to put off the, the lifestyle of slow boil. And in its place, put on being a blessing. Learning how to solve problems so the fire doesn't erupt. And you deal with the problems on a daily basis so you don't give the devil a foothold. And if you're a grudge bearer, if you're the, the, the kind of person who just loves to seethe and hold on to what ticks you off, that's got to stop. You've got to take off that hat. And you have to say, Jesus, give me the new courage to speak in a way that solves problems, resolves the issues, and we move forward in health in our marriage, in our family, in our relationships, at work, in school. In his talk about speech, verse 29, what does he say to put off? Put off any unwholesome words that tear other people down. And when you are renewed in your heart by the cross of Jesus Christ, you know what 
You put on, you put on what? Words that build up. Is that just the Apostle Paul? John, are you just a, a fan of the Apostle Paul? Peter says the same thing. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 9, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. How strange this is. The old man's way is you hit me, I hit you. You say something mean to, you, to me, I hit, say something mean to you. I'll return evil for evil. And he says, no more if you are in Christ, but you give a blessing instead. The Apostle John, in his third epistle, verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate that which is evil, but that which is good. And Jesus himself, talking to his disciples, says, you need to become like your master. And he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What's that? To deny yourself is to put off that habit, that way, that sinful way of relating. You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, putting on the new man. Now listen. To put off that eagle's hat and to put on the jet's hat, that's hard. It's not easy. You know why? Because the old man has ingrained habits. There are ruts in my soul. There are allegiances and alliances shaped by my own personal experience. And I'm stuck in them. And if you are a liar, that is your tendency to cover the truth, to tell half-truth. It will not be a simple matter for you to change because you have trained yourself very skillfully in the art of deceit. And if you're a thief, you know how to get what you want without buying it or paying for it or working for it. And those are ingrained in you. And if you speak in such a way that tears your wife down, that tears your husband down, that abuses your children, that is impudent to your parents, you have patterns of speech that you have practiced, and you're so good at them. And it's hard to change. Fill in the blank. I don't know what it is with you, but for some of you, it's going to be more difficult than learning how to drive. <laughs> Some of you don't remember what it was like to be 16. And that first time, you know, your dad said, here are the keys to the car, here we go. And um, we had an old 1957 Willys Jeep. Big, big, great big uh, Jeep with a clutch that was a long, heavy, hard clutch, a huge gear shift. And, um, I mean, I remember that the first time out with that. You know, you'd have the clutch depressed, you pull the gear down into first gear, you, you put the pedal down, and you pop the clutch, and what happens? Whoop, and the Jeep leaps forward and then stalls. But now, I get in the car, I unlock it, the key goes in without even looking where the keyhole is, the engine roars to life, the... Uh, uh, 
Radio goes on, I start singing along, and I back the car out into the street and head down my way, and I haven't even given it a single thought. It's really quite a very complex operation. But now I'm retrained in what to do. This is what Paul says when he says to Timothy that you discipline yourself for godliness. It's not some kind of, remember Psychology 101, B.F. Skinner, you know, the... He was the uh, guy to just habituate, rehabituate by training. Now, it's not that. There has to be the renewal of the heart, but you actually discipline. The, word, the Greek word is gymnazo, which sounds like gymnasium, right? You discipline yourself for godliness through the practice of putting on the new man. And I'm going I'm to have to learn how to cheer for the Jets, you see. I'm going to have to learn how to... Be happy. Vincent's going to have to coach me. He's going to have to say, hey, look at, look at you know, watch, watch this play. And you see, I'm going to have to learn an appreciation. I'm going to need to put on the new man. So point number three. You use your words and the work of your hands to heal, nourish, and benefit other people. I want to dive just a little deeper into this very practical text. Bear with me. Who knows when we will come back to this text again. We need to take it seriously, North Shore Church. What the Bible says in verse 29, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. This is more than just cursing. He is contrasting words that tear down with words that build up destructive words, rotten words, words that bite, that sting another person, that attack the person instead of the problem. And we are told that that kind of speech grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, what sins grieve the Holy Spirit? I suppose all sin at some level grieves the Holy Spirit, but he says explicitly here that the third person of the Trinity of Almighty God is grieved in our church when a husband and wife attack each other verbally, when parents and children attack each other verbally, when people in a small group gossip about each other in an unkind way, when people listen to gossip and take it in, that the Holy Spirit is quenched and grieved in our church family when this happens. This is very serious. The devil delights in making... Believers think that their speech doesn't matter. Wake up. Jesus said, I tell you. This is the words of Jesus. He says, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. That's why Paul says, don't use abusive speech and let what you say actually build other people up. So I want to ask you today, do you listen to yourself? Do you ever listen to yourself? Most of us hate listening to ourselves. How about on a tape recorder? Do you like it if somebody tape records your voice and then you hear yourself on a tape recorder? People are shaking their heads. You don't like it. People don't like to hear themselves on the tape recorder. Why? It's painful. And I think I told you six months ago, a story of a man, a friend of mine, who was driving in the car with his kids in the back seat, 
and he had to call his wife. So he calls his wife, and he gets the answering machine. And he leaves her his message on the answering machine, and then he hangs up the phone. And his kids were such a pill, right? Then they were driving him crazy. And he turns, and he corrects his children. But guess what? He hadn't hung up the phone. And so all that he said was now recorded on the answering machine at home. And he said, I went home and I listened to the messages and I heard the message I left my wife. And then I heard myself speak to my children. He said, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I spoke to my children like that. I guess New York doesn't get to see Alec Baldwin on the Oscars tonight, right? They took ABC off of the... Remember Alec Baldwin? He was recorded on the telephone saying all kinds of horrible things to his daughter, and then it got played on every television and radio station across America. Do you listen to yourself? It's a good thing. It's a good exercise to do. What do I sound like? It's so painful. And I need to hear the pain I've caused my wife, my son, my daughter, other people. James says the speech, your, your tongue is set on fire by hell. Talk about demon possession. Your tongue is set on fire by hell, he says. So George and Sally are at home. And George shaves... And after he's done shaving, he doesn't clean the sink. And Sally can't stand the hairs in the sink. Okay? So Sally says, finally, after the slow burn has finally ready to boil, Sally says, George, get in here. I don't know why you have to be such a slob all the time. Why can't you rinse out the sink when you're done? And George says to Sally, what? Me a slob? Have you looked under the bed lately? There's enough dust, dust bubbles under there to, to destroy the house. And she says, well, why should I clean the house? You're never home. You're always out with your friends. You don't want to be with your family. He says, why would I want to be with you? You always have curlers in your hair. You look like a Martian. What happened to the hairs in the sink? Hmm? They start out talking about a problem, but really what they want to do is just slice each other up, tear each other down. They forget about the problem to vent their animosity toward one another. We need to listen to ourselves. We need to listen to our children. And we need to teach our children to listen to themselves. Moms and dads, one of the most important things you will ever do for your children is to teach them how to speak truth in love, to teach them to be aware of their own hearts as they interact with other people. Because the greatest enemy every child has is himself. You have to teach them that. That's what we call reaching the heart. So you put off hurtful speech. What do you put on in its place? You put on speaking words that build people up. Sally, Sally, how do you go to George when you see the hairs in the sink? Sally, you say, 
George, I have a problem. George, every time I come into the bathroom and I see the hairs in the sink, I'm tempted to get upset. And I really struggle with this. And I know we've discussed this times in the, in, you know, times past, but George, I need you to help me with this. And George, if he's any kind of a Christian husband, says, well, you know, Sally, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to try. And, and I want you to have, I want to give you permission to remind me when I forget. And she says, okay, I will. And that's how they meet the need. They address the problem. They don't attack the person. So, I gave you the tongue assignment. It's in the bulletin. You don't need to look at it right now. I'm giving you an assignment this week. And uh, you can cut it out and put it on the refrigerator with your magnet. This assignment will show you and will show your children they need Jesus every day. This week, for one week, for one week, do not gossip or spread a bad report about anyone, even a little, even a little. This week, since the Bible prohibits complaining, this week, for just one week, do not complain. Not even once, no complaining. This week, since the Bible says don't make excuses, no excuses, just for a week. Do not, make, do not defend yourself even once. Make no excuses this week. And no boasting. You're not allowed to brag for one week. For one week. Okay? And what will this do for us? Well, this will show us that we need Jesus, that's for sure. And then it will teach us how that we need to put off the old man and to put on the new. I hope in our church family... Can we pray for this together? That we will be the kind of community where it is safe to be honest about your sins and struggles in your small groups, in the family life fellowship, in the adult Bible class, in the women's, men's Bible studies. Place to be honest and safe about who you are with the elders, with the pastor. Can we be those kind of people? And secondly, if you have a problem with stealing... If you're a stingy person, if you are not a generous person, would you heed what the Lord might be saying to you today and invite Jesus to renew your heart because he who was rich became poor for your sake that you through his poverty might become rich, the Bible says. And since you are rich in Christ, you can sit loose on your possessions and you can give. And third... Will you ask God to show you any place in your life where your speech actually tears people down? And then will you go and soak yourself, soak yourself in the grace of God, in the worship of God, in getting to know the Jesus who spoke the truth in such love and with such tenderness to your soul and said, friend, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am for you. And every promise is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And as you have that in your heart, he will renew you and form his life in you. Well, we're going to go to prayer right now. Let's bow our heads together and let's go to prayer because this is a heavy order. And then we're going to sing a song, a prayer of offering ourselves to God. So our Father, we come to you now and we ask for you to do that miracle of miracles, to change our hearts, to renew 
our souls because of the grace that you have shown to us. I confess, Lord, that there are so many big as well as little areas of my life that I want to put off of that old man. And in its place, I want a renewed heart that the roots of my, the soil of my heart will be changed by the living water and will issue forth in, instead of cruel speech, I will talk in ways that make other people really glad when I come into the room. And instead of being stingy or stealing, Lord, I would be someone who is generous and happy to be a blessing to others from the fruit of my labors. And, well, maybe you're, wherever you're sitting right now, would you fill in the blank? Lord, I think you're speaking to me this morning to put off, put in the blank, fill in the blank there. Okay, have you filled in the blank? Then, Lord, I need you to change my heart, my allegiances, my habits. And I invite you to show me from your word how to put on something better in its place, to put on Christ, the life of Christ, that it would flow through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand and